Welcome to the Brick Church Sermon Podcast. My name is Jared Callahan, and I'm the lead pastor here at the Brick. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, that you connect with God maybe in a new way, and it's the beginning of the conversation between you and Him and the beginning of our connection here at the Brick. 11.30, how you feel? So if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Jared Callahan. I'm your lead pastor here, and I just need to say how honored and humbled I am that uh, we get to be a part of these parents that are making this commitment. Like, we get to be a part of their public declaration to raise their home in a godly way, and it really matters that there's a church surrounding them. You guys, not just the pastoral team, not just the leaders that are in Life Kids, but all of us are surrounding them in prayer, are there to be for them. That 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 is a big deal, and uh, I hope you don't think that you're not a part of it because you may not directly be a part of it. But just being here worshiping is another portion of the body of Christ coming together because it really does take a village. We want to think we can do it on our own. We want to think we can get it all by ourselves, but it takes all of us coming together and partnering with these parents to see their kids grow up to be who God's called them to be. So super humbled by that. Can we give it up for those parents making that commitment? So today we're starting a brand new series called Driving Emotions, and I want to kind of give you the analogy that we're going to stick with throughout this series. Um, the analogy is that really your heart, your life is uh, like a bus that's going a direction. You're on a journey. You have a de- destination that God has called you to a place that he's driving you. Um, but inside of that bus and in all those seats are all your emotions. All the emotions that you have inside of you are on that bus And as we go through this series, what I want you to recognize, and I hope that you don't miss out on this, is that every single one of your emotions are designed to be there. Like, God made you. And sometimes in the church world, we might have a tendency to try to suppress emotions and push them to the side or ignore them because they seem negative. But what I wanted to challenge you to see is that God has given you that emotion, and that emotion is supposed to be there, but be there in the right position. It needs to have the right seat on the bus. See, there are some emotions that are called to have the steering wheel on your bus and be able to drive the next decision you're making and take you the right direction that God has called you to. But there are some emotions that just never should have the steering wheel. Like God has not called you to let that emotion drive you in the direction you're called. And so throughout this series, we're going to try to dive into some practical aspects of how to do that when that happens and make sure that you're driving in the direction that God has called you to. And it really matters to to make sure the right emotions are there and the right emotions are in the right spot because it says this in Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above everything else, make sure that your heart is protected. Make sure that your heart is in the right spot. Make sure that your emotions are aligned correctly with how God has called them to be seated on the bus because everything in your life is going to flow from that position. Everything in your life is going to flow from you having your heart in the right place and having all of your emotions in their correct positions, doing their job correctly, and you'll go the direction God has called you to. Jesus reiterates this in a moment when his disciples are having a conversation about what they're eating and how that, what they're eating might make them unclean. Because the traditional ceremonial idea of certain foods was that these foods would make you unholy or these foods would make you unclean. And what Jesus tells them is, hey, it's not actually about what goes in your mouth. He says it's actually what comes out of your mouth, meaning the words that you say. And he says it's from things that you've stored up in your heart. 
Where your heart is at is what's going to make you unholy. Where your heart is at is what's going to lead you to sin. Where your heart is at is what's going to be wrong. And so he's reiterating what Proverbs is saying is like above everything else, make sure your heart is in the right place because everything you do flows from it. So you're going to have some emotions and there are going to be good emotions that, that are allowed to have the steering wheel. Those emotions can be found in Galatians chapter five. They're called the fruits of the spirit. They can have the steering wheel. They can, they can guide you, direct you. There's, there's love. Man, let love drive your bus. There's joy. Joy is allowed to drive your bus. You're allowed to have joy in your life. Peace. Hey, I heard the peace of God. I felt the peace of God. I'm going this direction. Kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Let self-control have the steering wheel every so often. That one's really difficult. That one's maybe, you know, as you've spent more and more years having the fruits of spirit in your life, having that self-control to drive your bus. But then there are what I'm going to call negative emotions. All right. And when I say negative emotions, I don't want you to equate the word negative to bad. Because again, I believe God has placed them on the bus of your life and in your heart for a reason. They actually have really good purposes. They just shouldn't drive. So I'm not, when I say negative emotions, I'm not talking about bad. I'm talking about negative, meaning like fear, sadness, loneliness, worry, right? Th those actually are there for a reason. Uh, what I, the way that I illustrate those emotions is like indicator lights on your car, right? You have a dashboard, and on that dashboard are some lights that if something goes wrong in your car, they let you know. Hey, whoa, whoa, whoa I need check engine light. I should probably look into that. And take a look and see, like there's, a, there's an indicator light. And if you were, didn't like those emotions, you try to suppress that indicator light and you try to unplug your dashboard and get rid of that check engine light, you're not going to make it very far. Your car's going to break down and you're like, what happened? Well, the indicator light was trying to come on, but you ignored it. You pushed it aside. You didn't adjust to it. You didn't recognize what it was trying to communicate to you. So some of these emotions on your bus and the bus of life on your heart, you're going to have fear jump up and it's going to say, hey, hey, be cautious down the road because there's some things that we ran into last time and I'm afraid that we might do it again. And you can acknowledge, I hear you fear and I'll adjust accordingly, but you don't get to drive the bus. You don't, we don't stop in our tracks because we're afraid. We face our fear head on. So we adjust to what the fear is telling us, but it doesn't get to drive us. Does that make sense? Like I, you may have some things in your life where you're like, man, I'm really lonely. And that, it's back of the bus, like, hey, I, we, I don't like this. I'm alone. I don't like being alone. I feel, I don't like how this feels. And if you put loneliness in the front seat to drive your bus, it's going to drive you right into all the wrong relationships. If you start because of loneliness, it drives you. It's going to go to all the wrong places to get the people that can get, you can get close to as close as you can, as fast as you can in all the wrong ways. You're going to end up hurt and wonder why you're hurt it's because you let loneliness drive. But if you say, no, 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 I hear you loneliness. I hear what you're saying. I hear that I need people in my life. Now, God, where am I called to go to adjust to that? God, who, who have you called me to be and who have you called me to be around? Because loneliness has a seat, but it doesn't get to drive. And so to kind of drive home uh, what we're talking about, I really want to talk through the guy who I think does it the best. The guy who is the best of the best in scripture at adjusting to the emotions and letting the right emotions lead. And his name's David. David is described, he's so good at this, he's described as a man after God's own heart. That's David's description in, in scripture. A man after God's own heart. Listen, if on my tombstone, it's able to say a man after God's own heart, I, that's all I need. I, was, I, I, did, I had a life well spent. I'm good with that. If you have to lie to write that, it doesn't count. Please don't, don't, don't go scribble it in with Sharpie because you heard me say that one time. If you have to lie to write that on my tombstone, we messed up, something went wrong. But if legitimately people can say, no, 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 that was Jared. He lived a life where he, had a, he was a man after God's own heart. 
I died happy. I died a faithful servant who God had called me to be. That's how awesome David's heart is and who he's called to be. And so to get you to this moment, there's one moment in particular in his life that I think best exemplifies this idea where you have a lot of emotions that are on the bus yelling at you to do something, but yet quieting them down and listening to the right emotion, letting the right emotion drive. So David to set up this moment is anointed to be king. David is not born to quote unquote the right family necessarily because David is in the field guarding the sheep, which is the low job. Like it's not the job you wanna do, it's the job that's like below minimum wage. You're doing it because you're the son, not because you're really getting paid, right? He's like the seventh son, so he's the youngest of seven and he's out in the field. And what happens out of nowhere is a prophet comes, rejects all of his brothers and then anoints him to be king. So David knows he's anointed to be king. You might have heard David's name because we all talk about David and Goliath. David defeats Goliath and then David is, knows that he's anointed to be king, knows that he's supposed to be king and yet there's a guy that's still the king named Saul. And Saul is like, he's already kind of been rejected by God but then Saul gets stirred up and, and can't sleep at night. And the person that they call, as strange as this may sound, is David to come and play the harp. For Saul. I don't, I don't know if this is you, but I don't know how stirred you got to be to be able to have another man in your bedroom to play you music to, to help you fall asleep. That's like you're, you're really struggling with sleep. I also don't know how good you got to be at the harp or the guitar to just be like, go to sleep, David. Just go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? Like, go to sleep, Saul. Just go to, like, I don't know what sort of instrumentation you got to have, what sort of skill set you got to have to be that good that another man is in the, in the room and he's able to go to sleep with you playing, staring at him while he's asleep. That's, that's next level good. So David is good at almost everything he puts his hands to. And then David is also honoring Saul. Like, Saul is not, is kind of rejected as king and David's still honoring, but it's not enough for Saul. Saul starts to get jealous of David. Saul is so jealous of David, he decides he wants to kill him. Like the the people are are celebrating David too much. He's fighting battles. Not only is he good at the harp, he's great at fighting battles. And when he comes back from battles, people are singing songs about him that Saul killed his thousands, but David, he killed his 10,000s, right? So Saul is like, nope, I can't. I'm the king. You're going to sing about me. If anybody killed 10,000, it's me. It's not this dude I got playing me music to sleep. It's me. That's me. I I get the praise, right? That's David's or that's Saul's kind of jealousy. So he decides he's going to kill David. David goes on the run with like his inner circle. David is on the run with his inner circle having done nothing wrong up to this point. He's honored his king. He's done everything he's called to do, defeated Goliath, played music for the man who needs to go to sleep. He's done everything right and Saul is still trying to kill him. And in the process of running, Saul needs to go to the bathroom, okay? They're they're out in the field. They're running like, let's go kill this guy. Oh, hold up. I gotta go to the bathroom. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, my assumption is that it's probably number two, okay? You can have it be whichever one you want in this story, not a real pertinent detail, but he steps away for a moment into a cave to, to what scripture says, relieve himself. You don't need to go to a cave for that, all right? If we're out here fighting a war, we're fighting battles, you don't need to step into a cave. It doesn't say anything about a magazine, but maybe he had a magazine in there. He need a quiet moment to relieve himself. Not pertinent to this story, but I'm assuming number two. You assume what you want to assume. I think he went number two. David goes into this, ca- this cave, and what he doesn't know about this cave is that uh, David, or Saul goes into the cave, sorry. Saul goes to relieve himself in the cave, and what Saul doesn't know about the cave 
is that David and his men are hiding deeper inside of the cave, trying to keep away, trying to hide from him. So picture this, Saul drawers down. This is not a good fighting position, right? Not, not a great, I don't know if you fight well uh, while being on the toilet, but I don't assume Saul does. So Saul is in a very risky situation with the people he's trying to kill at the back of the cave while he's closer to the front, relieving himself. And David's men, as you can imagine, are like, this is it, David. Like, this is your moment. This is your moment to finally get redemption. You've been anointed king. This guy has the position of king. Clearly, it's God who has set you up for this moment to take him out. It's got to be God. It's got to be God in this moment. And I, don't, I imagine, too, there's an inner dialogue for David. Like, there are emotions of, like, this justification. Like, yes, absolutely. I've done everything right. Like, I played this man music while he went to sleep and kept playing that music while he went to sleep. I fought battles for him. I fought wars for him. I killed the giant for him so that he looked good. And now he's trying to kill me. No, this must be God. This must be my moment that I get to take him out. And so David creeps up. David creeps up. I don't know. He probably had, his, he probably had it like this because it, it was, I think he's going number two. Y'all might think it's number one, but I think it's number two. So I think he had his nose plugged and he creeps up on Saul. Saul's not ready to fight. You don't have a sword in his hand while he's going number two. And he, instead of killing him, cuts off a corner of his garment, cuts off a corner of his robe and takes it off. I don't know if the robe's still on him and it's just laying draped. I don't know. But it's to the side. Listen, I don't know why you are so caught up in number two. This is not really pertinent to the story. So David cuts off a corner of it. And then David is, is, is like convicted. Like in that moment, he had every reason, every right, every justification to kill the man. And to take his rightful place as king, and David doesn't do it. There are all kinds of emotions on his bus internally telling him, screaming at him, this is it. This is the right time. But for some reason, he doesn't. And here's what he says in 1 Samuel chapter 24, verses 5 and 6. It says, afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. David, David is, not only does he not kill him, David is even convicted. His conscience is stirred up because he was even willing to cut off the corner of his robe. Like that's, that's where David goes, right? Like if you're going to say, all right, I want to be a man after David's own heart or a man after God's own heart. I want to be like David. If that's where we get to, that's the place that we're thinking. There is a moment in our life where we have every justification to do the thing that everyone in the world thinks is the right thing. And then we still have to choose to do God's thing. This sounds really easy when you're reading it after the fact and you find out how David becomes king. It sounds really easy reading a story that's always, that, seems, that seems like it's a long time ago and somebody that's really glorified. But when you're in the midst of your decision and you want this justification to do a thing and then you decide, no, 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 I gotta do, I gotta do it God's way. The level of trust that David has to have to say, you know what, I, uh-uh, trust gets to drive this bus. Not my way. I'm not going to force myself into the position God has called me to. I'm going to let God do it. I'm going to trust that he'll do it his way. I mean, David is so, so conscious of, of doing the right thing in this moment that even cutting off the corner is too much. When he would have been seemingly justified to murder the man, and he says, I can't do this to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. What are you talking about, David? He's already been rejected. 
We find out in other verses that we know he's rejected as king. How is he anointed as the king? What, what are you talking about? The anointed of the Lord, you're the one that's been anointed to be king. How is he the anointed of the Lord? But what David recognizes is that God anoints the position, not the man. That God in this moment has let him be king and let him stay king. So David is saying, no, 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 I don't get to do it my way. I have to do it God's way. See, we have actions that seem right to us and seem right to the world and our emotions would tell us it's okay. And then there are actions that we say, we know, no, no, this is what God would, this is the way God would want me to do it. No, no, I'm going to do it God's way, even if it doesn't feel right or feel fun or feel exciting. We have moments similar to David where he's wrestling with this and struggling with this and I have these moments where I think about people in different positions and I I would want to dishonor them with maybe a Facebook post maybe I would want to dishonor my boss with how I communicate with the people around me and how I think they're right and here's the deal you're like no but I'm right no but I'm I'm right about them what I'm saying is true right you have this opportunity to to snitch on your coworker to get the promotion you're like well I'm telling the truth I'm not lying Yeah, yeah yeah there's justification for the way you want to do it. And then there's a driving emotion called peace and trust and joy that you got to decide which one drives. You got to decide which one gets, gets gets the steering wheel. Is it your justification? Is it the emotions that make you feel justified in the actions? Are you saying just because it's true doesn't mean I need to speak it? Just because I'm right about my political stance about the person in office now or the person previously in office, do I get to speak against God's anointed in that position? Not because they're respectable, but because God has called me to speak respectably. Do I get to come out against a whole group of people because I'm right? No, no, no. God's saying you can choose your way, which might be right in your eyes and by your emotions, or you can choose my way, which might make you uncomfortable, but you learn to trust me. You learn to have peace in my direction. You learn to let me lead your life. And David is so amazing at this. Right now, you're like, well, that's David, and I'm not there yet. Like, I got all kinds of emotions, and my emotions are crazy. Like, maybe even clinically crazy. I don't know. I don't know you. That's fine. You're, this is a place, it's a safe space. We say you can belong before you believe. I don't care if you're clinical. You're saying, like, look, I don't even, like, they're crazy. My emotions are all over the place. I barely control them. I don't know what you're talking about. David's cool, but that's not me. I'm not David. But what I want you to know about David is the man was emotional, like next level emotional. Most of the Psalms are written by David. So we get a glimpse of him writing poetry and writing music. I mean, I'm not trying to dog on musicians, but a lot of y'all are very emotional. Okay. A lot of y'all are highly emotional people. Some of the stuff you write, it's kind of depressing sometimes, you know, because you're sad and you have, you have lots of emotions and then you're really excited and then you're sad again, right? This is David. The, the, the artist, the musician, this is David. And to show you how emotional he is, but then how he puts it in place, I want to read a psalm for you. This is, we're going to read the whole psalm because it's a real short one. There's only six verses in it. And in Psalm 13, we, we think it's actually written the chapter before. So you can kind of see the way that he's already processed some emotions before he jumps in to 1 Samuel chapter 24. And in Psalm 13, this is David's emotion. In verse 1, it says, How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? First off, this is a little bit. Sometimes we wonder, like, can you be that disrespectful to God? Like, I don't know. Can you talk to God like that? No, God's like, he's, David is so emotional. He's calling God out and saying, how long will you let me live like this? Like, he's sad. He's upset. He's frustrated. He's angry at God in this moment. So David's got anger. He's got frustration. Verse 2. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? 
How long will my enemy triumph over me? David's got sorrow on David's bus. The man after God's own heart, he's still writing. Why, why do I still have to wrestle with my thoughts? Why do I still have to wrestle with my anxieties? Why do I still have to wrestle with my doubts, my beliefs in, of my own inadequacy? Why do I have to day after day deal with this sorrow and this sadness? No, 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 David, the man after God's own heart, even has that emotion on his bus. Verse three, look on me and, and answer, Lord my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. David escalated the emotion all the way up to like, if I live like this any longer, I'm gonna die right? Whatever extreme you've been in in your life, you know, sometimes you look back on that emotion as a teenager and you're like, well, that was dumb, right? You look at you, if you've ever reread like a journal or something you wrote when you're a kid and you're really emotional, you're like, that was really silly. That was, I, it was not a big deal. It was just my first breakup. Like who cares? But what, what's interesting is that in the moment, whether it seems silly when you look back in the moment, it feels true. In the moment of this, it feels like I'm going to die. I cannot live any longer. The amount of anxiety, the amount of sadness that David is experiencing, what I would imagine would be loneliness, the amount of almost depression to say, if I, like, I'm, a, like, I'm just going to die. Like, I'm literally going to die if you don't answer me, if I don't get out of this. And then verse four, he says, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. I think it's interesting. He even adds like this comparison kind of emotion. Like I also care what they think about me. So like, if you're not going to answer me because I'm super sad, I don't want them to think that I was a loser. I don't want them to think that they won. I don't want them to think that they beat me. Like he's also comparing himself and is frustrated. So like this guy who's the man after God's own heart has all of these emotions. So if you, if you have those emotions, if you have those anxieties, those worries, that depression, that rests on you're saying, no, no, I'm clinical. No, no, it's okay. David was close too. David might've been clinical too, but it's okay because you can decide which emotion drives you. You get the decision to say, no, no, I feel all this. All of this is true. I'm not going to kick you off the bus or act like you're not there, but I'm not going to let you drive my life. You don't get to dictate what I do next. You emotion get in the seat you're called to be in because love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and the hope of God is going to rule my life. And that's how David puts his emotions into check and puts them in their seat on the bus in verses five and six. He says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David had all the emotions. And what I want you to recognize is that you're going to have them all. I'm, I'm not telling you, again, I am not telling you to push your emotions aside. You need to look them in the face and acknowledge what they're telling you. Because if you deny them, they're going to come out in a worse way, in a bad way. But if you will look them in the face and call them what they are, and then tell them to sit in their seat and let the trust of God's unfailing love lead your life the hope of the goodness of God and the rejoicing of the fact that he's already brought you this far, he's not gonna leave you. If you let that drive your bus, then you're still okay. See, you don't, the good thing about God is you don't have to feel good to live for Jesus all the time. Like that's good, it's good to have joy, it's good to have peace and patience, but when you don't have it, you still have the option to say, even when I don't feel like it, I'll still trust you. Even when it doesn't feel good, I trust God more than my own justification. I trust the goodness and the unfailing love of God's word and where he's called me to be and how he's called me to live more than I trust my own emotions 
That's, that's next level, David. That's next level uh, uh, steps that we're taking. And for many of us, uh, we might ask the question, as a pastor, it's probably one of the most common questions. It's like, how do I, how do I hear the voice of God? And this understanding of your emotions is like the foundational step of hearing God's voice. It is the most foundational aspect of being able to hear God speak in your life. If you will spend a moment diving into your motives, like, okay, God, am I supposed to take this job or not? If you will stop for a moment and you'll go, why am I wanting to take this job? You, you don't need your neighbor sometimes to come tell you what God said. Sometimes there will be places where you'll process for just a second. You'll say, oh, my driving emotion is greed. My driving emotion is comparison. That doesn't get to lead me, right? If you're saying like, okay, should I take this job? God, are you calling me to take this promotion? It's going to move me to another city. Should I take this promotion? Well, do I want to do it because it's going to make me look good. I'm going to have these emotions that are negative emotions where I'm comparison. I'm going to look good to everybody else, or I'm afraid I'll stay and always be stuck in the job I'm in. So I stay or take the job because I'm afraid that I can't do anything else. And I might get stuck if I don't take this promotion. I'm afraid there'll never be another promotion. So I take this promotion out of the negative emotions. In my experience, when you decide out of those negative emotions, when you give them the steering wheel to your bus and they drive you, you're not going the God's way. But on the flip side, when you say, you know what? I feel those things, but God, what are you calling me to do? I, no, 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 I feel those things. What does the peace of God say in my life? Like, no, 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 I use my kids as an excuse, but is it best for my kids? Am I gonna be gone away from the house more? Are my kids gonna be raised up differently because of this job? Or am I gonna be worse off just to have more money in the bank? Am I just gonna be worse off and be in a different city with more money and my kids are raised around the wrong people because they had a good group here, a good village here to help them be raised up? And you'll start to process and dive down in every decision. And the thing is, you're just gonna have to be honest with yourself. You're gonna have to be honest with yourself in those moments to say, okay, what is my real, real motive? Like, what's really driving me? And once you find out it's a negative emotion, you can turn and go, okay, what does God's emotion tell me to do? What is the peace of God saying in my heart? Like, what's the right decision with the right motives? And usually, before you ever get a word from somebody else, before somebody ever speaks it over your life, usually you'll find out that's what God's been saying all along. He'll speak through those emotions. He'll speak to you through peace and joy. Rarely, if ever, does he speak to you through fear. See, and how this turns out is it's a good indicator light, right? Like you don't want to ignore it. It's got to be talked to. You got to have a conversation. The first time I ever gave my life to Jesus uh, was because I was afraid of hell, like for fear. So like the negative emotion. I was terrified. didn't want to go to hell. I don't know if you've heard about this place. It sounds really bad, right? It's not a place we want to go. Doesn't sound like fun. So I heard about it. It's like, don't want to go there. What do I got to do to not go there? Because I'm afraid of that. But see, the reason I stayed, see, that might've been a start for me, but the reason I stayed the reason that I, I give my life to follow Jesus day in and day out is because I found about the goodness of God, the unfailing love to send his son to die for me. But the, the God that I found out that I can trust with my life because he cares about me more than I care about myself. See, that's the thing that locked me in. That was the godly decision. It may have been a good indicator light that something was wrong and I don't want to go to a bad place, but the thing that really got me the direction God wanted me to is when I found out about his goodness and his love, when I had a peace that God loved me as much as he said he loved me. And so to do that, to get there, to get to this place where we're able to, it's like he's going to, you're going to have to invite him onto your bus. I mean, like some of us are like, all right, I give you, I give you my life, Jesus. 
I want to follow you. I want you to bring me good stuff. I want to have some cool things in my life. I want to have this peace. I want to have this joy. But then we have sections of our bus that we don't let him in on. Like we're like, no, no, no. But when I'm, when I'm, when I'm upset, I'm going to say what I want to say. Like you're not going to tell me how to talk. When I'm driving down the road, I'll say what I want to say to those drivers. I'll give them whichever finger in my hand I want to give them because I'm driving. This is my car. This is my road, right? Like we sometimes have areas of our life that we allow God in on, but then we push him out on the other side. But for David to be the, the, the man after God's own heart, to be like David in the way that we live our life and what directs our bus, we're going to have to let God in on all of the bus. And the thing is, is, is he steps in and he puts their emotions in their place right? He steps in and he puts their emotions in their place, but there's this prayer that David prays that I think shows us what David is inviting God to do in his heart, in his bus, in the direction he's going, and it's absolutely a terrifying prayer. Like, I'm going to challenge you here in a minute to, to, to pray the prayer and to, to pray this verse, but I need you to know it's, it's very dangerous and it's also terrifying because he will, he will get in the midst of your stuff, the stuff that you thought, like, no, this ain't no big deal. Like, nobody knows about this. I don't got to tell nobody about this. He's going to get in the middle of it. The thoughts that you had that you thought were justified that you wouldn't say about somebody else, but you allow yourself to think about yourself, he's going to get in that too. Like, he'll get in your crawl space and you're not going to like it and you're going to have to decide, do I trust him or do I trust my own emotions? And David says it like this. This is, a, this is the kind of dangerous prayer in Psalm uh, 139, verse 23 and 24. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. David says, God, I, like, this is a scary thing to pray. The time I prayed it, like God showed up and I didn't like it because I wanted to do what I wanted to do and let my emotions lead. And God said, no, no, no. If you want me to search you, I'm going to search you. I'm going to check your heart. And you're going to find out whether or not your motives were really as pure as you thought they were. And when you ask God to, to know your heart and to test it, he's going to test it. And he's going to find the anxious thoughts in your life and in your heart and the things that are trying to drive you and trying to drive your bus. All the offensive ways that are going the wrong way, led by the wrong emotions, led by fear and anxieties and insecurities. And God's going to put them in their seat when you let him. Like I mean, we're talking about open that, open that bus door and God's going to step in and be like, fear, I heard what you said, but it's time to sit down. See, some of those emotions have been good friends to you. They've been really comforting to you because they helped you survive as a kid. That, that, that insecurity that you're wrestling with and that loneliness that you were worried about helped you push people away so you weren't going to be hurt anymore. And God is going to say, no, 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 I've got an everlasting way that I want to lead you in. So loneliness, you don't get to drive anymore. You may have helped me survive my childhood, but you don't get to drive this bus anymore. The faith and hope of an everlasting good God is what's going to lead my emotions. And it gets to lead this bus. All of those emotions that have been steering you left and right. And we're talking about little stuff. You're thinking like, oh, big stuff. God's going to change what job I'm at and what relationships I'm in and how I parent. But no, no, he's going to get in the little stuff too. You're going to wake up in the middle of the night and you're going to be like, I need that whole gallon of ice cream. And God's going to be like, why? What are we talking about? Jerry's Jerry talking about ice cream. Well, really, we come to church to talk about ice cream. We'll come at my gallon of ice cream. Yeah, I'm going to come at your gallon of ice cream because it's not about the ice cream. It's about your heart that's needing to eat the ice cream to compensate for what's really going on. The emotional need for what this is going to fulfill and God is saying, no, no, I'm supposed to fill that. Rocky Road doesn't fulfill that. Rocky Road only helps for a moment, but I'll help forever. So if you'll turn to me and your emotions, I can bring healing. That's not going to bring healing. 
is you'll have little areas of your life where he's going to start to bring in direction, but you've got to decide if you'll let him in. You've got to decide if he's allowed to direct or not. You've got to decide if you'll open that bus door and say, no, you get everything. I'm not holding nothing back. You can search it all. And it may not be fun. It may be really uncomfortable because like I said, you've had those emotions for a long time. They've led for a long time. And then you're going to have this moment this week. If you're bold enough to pray this prayer, you're going to have this moment where you're like, ooh, do I want to let this emotion lead? Or God, do you get to lead? Do your emotions get to lead? Do I get to be led by peace? And you're so used to being led by these other emotions. It's going to be so tempting. And you're going to have to remind yourself, nah, but you got goodness in store for me. I trust in your unfailing love because you really are as good as you say you are. Let's pray. We are so excited that you had joined us for today's message. We hope that it impacted you, that God used it to get to you exactly what he needed to speak and that you're able to take the action steps he's called you to. If you're still here with us and you're looking for a way to give back to the Brick Church, to be a part of the community financially, you can start that giving in two ways. One way is through the website. It's thebrick.church slash giving. The second way is to set up a text giving account. You do that by texting the word BRICK to the phone number 45888. That's the word BRICK to 45888. Thank you for being a part of all that God is doing here at the Brick Church.